Welcome to All Things Cardio-Oncology. My name is Steve Casella. I'm the Executive Director of ICOS, and in this podcast, you'll hear from a diverse representation from within our community. We want you to be both informed and inspired by their stories and experiences, and we're so glad that you've joined us today. Well, today it's a pleasure to welcome, as usual, my co-host, Dr. Arjun Ghosh. Arjun, live from London. Welcome. Thanks uh, so much, Steve. Pleasure to be here. And Dr. Dan Lenahan. Dan, uh, coming from St. Louis, we appreciate you being on today as well. Thanks. Thanks, Steve and Arjun. I always look forward to these conversations. Well, over the past uh, few years, one of the things that we've been really excited about as an organization is the formation of different working groups. And it's a pleasure to welcome members of our pharmacy working group today. Uh, welcome to Heather Moore. Heather's a PharmD working in clinical oncology as a clinical oncology pharmacist in breast oncology at Duke University Medical Center. Welcome, Heather. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. And Craig Beavers, also PharmD, is Assistant Professor of Pharmacy Science at the University of Kentucky. So welcome, Craig. Welcome. Happy to be here. Well, we have the uh, uh, the perfect cardio-oncology team with us today. Craig um, has a specialty in cardiology, Heather in oncology. So this is exactly what we look for in these conversations. Well, as we begin, I wonder if um, Heather and Craig, you could each tell us just a little bit about your background generally, your career path, and how you developed your interest in cardio-oncology. Heather, how, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I um, did my undergrad in biology at NC State and then went to pharmacy school at UNC, and that's when I first developed an interest in oncology. Um, and then from there, I did residency. Um, I did my general residency um, at the Durham VA and then uh, my oncology residency um, at VCU and Richmond. And from there, that's where, you know, originally thought I was going to do heme malignancies, but then had a real interest in solid tumor. And then that's how I ended up in breast cancer, which um, I've really come to love because I really enjoy the complexity of our regimens and we just have really great patients. Um, but that's essentially what led me to cardio-oncology as well, because we do have so many therapies that are cardiotoxic, thinking about HER2 therapies in addition to anthracyclines, and then even our more targeted therapies, thinking like ribocyclin, um, which is a CDK4-6 inhibitor. So I think um, just oncology in general, you see so many toxicities that have to be managed, but especially within this subset um, with the breast cancer patients. And that's really where I just um, kind of fell in love with toxicity management and trying to make drugs fit patients and manage these patients so they can maintain therapy. Thanks for sharing that background. Yeah, you're, you're never going to run out of uh, opportunities for new learning. Uh, that's for sure. Craig, Tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in cardio-oncology. Yeah, so my journey mimics Heather's in the sense that, you know, I did an undergrad program at the University of Kentucky. Um, clearly, my institutions are different. Uh, un unlike Heather, I have less variability, though. I did pharmacy school at the University of Kentucky and graduated there with my doctor of pharmacy degree. Uh, and like Heather pursued additional training, I did my PGY-1 or my postgraduate year one also at the University of Kentucky or the U with UK Healthcare, and then my PGY-2 in cardiology at UK Healthcare. And over the course of the years, you know, my 
focus in my career has been primarily related to in and outpatient cardiology management uh, through a variety of different disease states um, and, and manage a lot of heart failure based populations. So like Heather, I think, you know, seeing the patients that have these kind of, you know, traditional cardiotoxicities, but really I got a deep, deep interest in this because uh, I've been the chair of the American College of Cardiology's cardiovascular team section. And obviously cardio-oncology is becoming more and more uh, kind of well-known and profound uh, of a, a great field. And so I have gotten engaged in how do we understand and train our clinicians, both pharmacists and, and non-pharmacists to be prepared to take on these roles, you know, especially as, um, you know, we have a lot of people who trained and when cardio-oncology wasn't an official uh, pathway. And then on top of that, just having seen other instances where I can seem that my cardiology peers need additional guidance in this area. So I think that's how I've really jumped into the, to this and, and how we set up the processes and clinics and work together with our, our heme and hematology oncology folks to, to better the care for our patients. Thanks, Craig. It's always um, helpful to hear kind of how people got to where they are and particularly their background and interest in this field. Um, Heather, you're the chair of the International Cardio-Oncology Society's Pharmacy Working Group. Tell us just a little bit about that group and some of the projects that you all are working on. Yeah, so uh, just as Craig alluded to, so the biggest project that we've been working on uh, over the last year or so has really been uh, to gauge and have a better understanding of uh, cardio-oncology and specifically thinking about pharmacists as well as other healthcare providers, as we acknowledge that there is certainly a, a gap and that it is a newer field. Um, so we did a survey that initially started with onco uh, oncology pharmacists as well as cardiology pharmacists to have a better understanding of exposure, background, education, um, interactions, how these pharmacists are managing or involved with patient care, specifically with cardio-oncology. And then we expanded that um, to other healthcare providers, including APPs as well as physicians, uh, in addition to uh, some of our nurses as well. And that helps us just give a better understanding of, you know, where we are and where we need to go. And from there, our goal is to identify gaps and how we can move forward. Uh, I think additionally, it gives us some insight on how we can better train and think about programs for future pharmacists and specifically um, cardio-oncology specialties. And then more so, how can we better treat patients and provide resources within both the inpatient and clinic setting um, specifically for cardio-oncology needs. So I think that's probably been our, our biggest project over the last year. And then we're hoping to uh, present that uh, at GCOS here shortly, and then we'll write that up as a manuscript, and then we'll go on to next steps. Um, we've also utilized some of that information to better tailor our webinars in terms of what may be helpful from an education standpoint um, for healthcare providers um, and kind of utilize some of that as well. So that's what we've been working on so far. I'm excited for our results and, and how we can better shape the field. Arjun, what quest questions do you have for our guests? Uh, thanks, Steve. So really interesting to hear from uh, Heather and Craig as to you know what, what the working group is doing. Lots of exciting stuff there for sure. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners are always keen to understand the, the clinical aspects of um, all, all the different uh, speakers we have on the podcast. So maybe uh, I could turn to that. So 
uh, if I could ask both of you, you know, what is the role of the, the pharmacist in the cardio-oncology team and how do you interact with your oncology and cardiology colleagues? Because, you know, pharmacology is a big, big area, of, of course, in, in cardio-oncology. So maybe, uh, Craig, if I could uh, start with you. Yeah, sure. And, and I'm sure Heather will echo this because overall, generally, you know, as pharmacists, we're working through thinking about, you know, the holistic aspects of the patient and comprehensive medication therapy management in the context. And then obviously we take it to the next level based on our specialty. And so, you know, kind of my role is, you know, cardiology diseases and disease state management and and the pharmacotherapy related to that. And so I'm often interacting in both my clinic setting and in the inpatient setting with my cardiovascular team. And, you know, really they're, focus is on on the cardiovascular disease patient. And I'm paying attention to that piece, but the other medications and things that are are occurring with them. And oftentimes, you know, on the inpatient side, they may not know that they're on chemotherapy or what, you know, where they're at in their course of the regimen and what that entails for our treatment, you know, for, for that disease state, or could their reason they're being admitted be related to this item? You know, I think of a great example of a patient we had admitted that was getting treated with few and they did a very high dose rapid uh, uh, treatment and you know clearly the next day or so came in with you know kind of chest pain angel symptoms and uh, you know I was the one that was able to identify very quickly that by the way before we while we're in the process of working I want to put this out there that this could be the reason that we're we're admitted here and and just kind of working through that and then identifying as we work through the patient and work them out what are the next steps we need to do. And then likewise, in our clinic setting, you know, kind of doing those same same processes where we're working with our, our hematology, oncology peers as we identify things, whether it be, you know, they're, to Heather's point, she'll probably allude to this, they're uh, beginning to manage a patient who is beginning their breast cancer journey, and, and they're, you know, working with our cardiovascular team to screen them, reduce the risk in th- those activities, and I'm helping, you know, optimize their treatment, get them on the right treatment plan or dose and, and management, and and then, you know, helping streamline their regimen so that it's successful and they're adhering and taking those things and educating it from that standpoint. So really, it's all things that you can think about from a medication perspective. But, you know, clearly I'm thinking about, okay, you know, for example, my hematology oncology team wants to use this regimen. What do I need to do to allow them to optimize this um, or not have to stop it or do something different if we need to, to do those things um, from that standpoint? And so I, you know, I'll let Heather add some color and layers to it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think something that Craig alluded to that is um, a great point is that with both cardiology and oncology team members and pharmacists, um, I think you really get the perspective of both cardiology, oncology, as well as inpatient, outpatient. And I think that's uh, also where our roles can sometimes be a little bit different. Um, So I am in the breast cancer clinic. um, And so in terms of what uh, is more so consistent with my role as a clinical pharmacist and specifically in the cardio-oncology sector is identifying patients that may be at high risk prior to starting chemotherapy or targeted therapies and helping to get those patients um, into our cardio-oncology team so that we can optimize them prior to chemotherapy start. Um, And then also helping to manage those patients and then just thinking about general toxicity management. Um, So I think that's where our big focus is, is not only prevention, but also 
monitoring those patients through chemotherapy, how we can best do that, and then how do we manage and monitor those patients after, and then especially thinking about our metastatic patients that are on lifelong therapies um, and managing those patients. I think something that we've touched on a little bit, um, but not to the full extent yet, is that within the oncology sector and thinking about um, cardiology management as well, especially with many of the uh, antiarrhythmic agents, is that there are so many drug interactions and we do have so many targeted therapies. Um, so we do have to be very mindful of drug interactions, dose modifications, um, drug monitoring, drug management. And I think that's where it is really helpful um, to have a clinical pharmacist that can uh, identify that up front and determine when do we need to modify which agent um, that we're going to use to treat blood in order to make sure that we're not interfering with their cancer therapy as well. Um, and I think that as we continue just in general, you know, within our healthcare system, multidisciplinary teams have become essential to really manage uh, these very complex patients. We have patients that are, you know, post-heart transplant, patients that have multiple comorbidities, patients that, you know, in the setting of all of those things are now getting chemotherapy. And you really have to be mindful of not only your drugs and what you're doing, but also their concurrent medications and therapies to ensure that you're treating them uh, in the safest way possible and, and really managing them to the best of your ability. So I think that's yep. kind of like the tip of the iceberg, but just a few things that we think about as being key clinical roles. If you or your institution would like to have credentials that confirm your qualifications as a cardio-oncologist or a cardio-oncology center of excellence, we encourage you to consider applying for our certification exam in cardio-oncology or our certification for centers of excellence. These are the only certifications currently available in this field, and it's a special opportunity for you or your institution to distinguish yourself recognizing your expertise in the field. More information about both these opportunities can be found at ic-os.org, or you can email directoricos at gmail.com for more information. Yeah, that's uh, really interesting to hear what, what the day job is like uh, for both of you. And one of the things that we learned uh, quite quickly in cardio-oncology is that we need to talk as cardiologists to oncologists. And of course, we, we have the oncologist coming to talk to us about the patients. So is this something that you would see yourselves or do you already do this? I mean, Craig, do you talk to your oncology pharmacist counterpart and uh, Heather, do you do the same? I, I, I was, I definitely do in, in these scenarios. And, and I think Heather's in a great practice and I'll let her talk about it where they're there, there's maybe some a lot of integration there that is already occurring, and I know that's uh, an evolution that is happening. But um, you know, and we do in, in our practice. But I know there's instances where even in in our non-traditional cardio oncology clinic practice setting, for example, our inpatient setting, that you know I've had instances where we've you know, uh, God love my cardiologist and especially my interventional cardiologist they will, you know, their immediate focus a lot of times in emergency is, you know, putting stents in people to help them in, a, you know, an emergent uh, chest pain or stimming setting. But then we find out after we've stented them uh, that, you know, they're on this agent, this chemotherapy agent, you know, whatever it may be, it could be yeah. Yeah. A, a TKI, whatever, you know, and then it's like, oh, by the way, hey, now that we've done this, we've got to think about the fact that we have committed them to doing that therapy. And so we need to either figure out what our, our length and duration of that's going to be, or if we need to change, 
the chemotherapy regimen. And so, you know, that's where I, you know, find time to dialogue with the hematology oncology team and the pharmacists be like, okay, here is where we are at and where do we want to go in the next steps? And, and we have to do it together because, you know, at, at what point do you say at this point, the most important thing is that we need to maintain their chemotherapy or vice versa, you know, and that, and that's having that conversation and getting the perspective of, you know, where the patient is at from, you know, uh, in, in their journey of their care and saying that at this point, the risk is highest with this versus this point. So I, I don't know, Heather, what, what are you, what are you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I would agree. So I would say that we certainly are in touch with our cardiologist um, and, and our, with our clinical cardio-oncology team. I think that as the field evolves, that there will be um, more connection between the groups. I think right now, while we do have, specifically thinking from the pharmacy side, um, some involvement with our cardiology pharmacist, I would say within our institution, we probably have a larger inpatient cardiology focus. And while there is some interest there and some engagement, it does seem to be more so in the outpatient setting. Um, but I think that that's something that we, you know, identify as a gap that we do need to have more presence, more interaction between both the cardiology and the oncology teams as this field continues to evolve. So I think it does help to identify what our, you know, current barriers are, how do we move past those? Because I do think it is essential um, that we do work together. I think Craig brings up a great point that, you know, from our standpoint and from the oncology side, we're very much focused on how do we treat their cancer? How do we maintain their therapies? Um, and, and that's really our, our big focus. Um, so, you know, while we're monitoring, for instance, you know, for HER2 therapy and metastatic patients, we're not doing echoes every three months um, because as long as those patients are asymptomatic and stable, we want to make sure that we're continuing their HER2 therapy in this setting um, to maintain stable disease. Um, versus in the more, uh, you know, acute settings and thinking about the cardiology side, I think sometimes it's a very different perspective that um, is also important. We just don't think of as much because we're so focused on on the cancer and the oncology side of things. So uh, I think if anything, it does help us to realize and see that moving forward, uh, we do need to have more interaction um, between these two sectors as our therapies continue to develop, as we're using more targeted therapies and we're using agents that do cause more cardiotoxicity. And it's not like your standard um, cardiomyopathy that you're seeing from anthracycline. So I think well, it's just to, to your point, Heather, like a, another great example, and we, we use this a lot, actually, we've used it in some of our, our webinars we've had. And if you ever want to go back and watch them, you can, you know, AFib is, is a great example of uh, 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 there are diverse ways to resolve and solve AFib in all aspects of it, whether it be, you know, using catheter ablation or antiarrhythmic therapy, or, you know, the, even thinking about the anticoagulation piece. And, and that's where it really is helpful to come together because it's like, okay, here are our options. You know, what chemotherapy are you on? Here's what we can do to avoid those things. You know, if it recur, you know, it, it really highlights how you have to have those bi-directional conversations of, of what we're going to do for the patient. And it's one of those tricky disease states that, you know, you, AFib can, can be treated successfully or can recur regularly. You know, it's a tricky disease state that is never, you know, it's not like, okay, we got their hypertension. I'm not saying hypertension isn't, but like, it, it's one of those things that is always an interesting thing to deal with, but. Sure. And I think really interesting to see that obviously the, those kind of interactions between the two teams already happening and, and uh, more is required. So that, that's really great to hear. And I suppose my, my last question will be, and I think, you know, Heather just, just touched upon this, that, you know, there's always new drugs coming out, uh, exciting drugs in the oncology space. How can a 
you know, a, a simple cardiologist keep on track with all of these new oncology drugs that can potentially cause cardiotoxicity, Heather? So if you have any kind of, uh, you know, hints or you know, uh, tips for us. I think this is where I put in my plug for cardio-oncology pharmacists. <laughs> and so I think that yeah. every day there are new FDA indications or new therapies being developed. I literally checked my email earlier and there were three new FDA approvals for therapies today um, in the oncology sector alone. So I think it's something that is just an ever-evolving field. Um, it's very difficult to keep up with new therapies, targeted agents, you know, uh, monoclonal antibodies, antibody drug conjugates. They're just... Um, so readily becoming approved by the FDA and going in utilization that it's really tough for oncologists to manage them. That's why we have such you know subspecialties now because it is very tough just from a general oncology perspective. Um, I think if you know if you have resources and accessibility to an oncology pharmacist or you know a cardiology pharmacist or someone who's involved in cardio oncology, that's certainly. Um, you know, one of the best resources to have. But if not, I think when I think about resources that are available, um, there are uh, quite a few um, thinking about specifically cardiotoxicity. I know that HOPA and ENCODA um, have drug resources available for <laughs> cardiotoxicity and some of the ways to manage those and being more mindful of updated oncology therapies. Um, so I think that that's a, a pretty good resource. There are, are multiple um, databases and sources that you can look through that give you a general idea of what cardiotoxicities you may see with certain therapies. I think the other thing is just being very mindful of drug interactions and concomitant therapies. I think that's probably something that um, we struggle with quite a bit um, that I know that I'm heavily involved in. So um, those are certainly some resources that I would think of. Craig, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, no, it's funny because I, I I reflect on your comment about you know the the explosion, if you will, of agents in the oncology space, and for sure we definitely uh, feel that pain and and keep up with it. And I, I don't know, you know, to Heather's point, that's why there's so much sub specialization. Uh, it blows my mind about the oncology uh, approvals, but I think where it is different on in in the value of being with a cardiology pharmacist saying to a cardiovascular team and, and Arjun can maybe att attest this or appreciate it, but like, you know, if you run into a situation like I alluded to earlier, where you have that patient who needs some form of, you know, antiplatelet therapy or dual antiplatelet therapy, uh, and they're also on a, an agent for their chemotherapy bleeding, like we are in uh, the, the thing that has changed rapidly and continues to evolve is the whole construct of managing a patient with stents and in the dual antiplatelet therapy and how we manage that, that's the, where our explosion of literature is that, you know, if you were, if, you know, Heather learned in her PGI-1 that we do DAP for 12 months, well, kind of like asterisks beside that, we have so much data to say to do differently. And, and that's where we work as a partner because, you know, Heather doesn't know the, the, net, the depth and breadth of all that data, but that's where like, you know, myself and Arnold and the cardiologist and they're like, okay, don't worry, we can work around this a little bit more than we used to, right, Arjun? So yeah, great. So that's uh, very, very interesting. But uh, I think a uh, great uh, pitch maybe to have your own cardio-oncology pharmacist. I think that's a great point. Uh, I'll hand over uh, now to, to Dan. Uh, thanks, Arjun. Yeah, I think mainly I would say the, the two biggest questions that exist, and certainly in my mind, uh, in, in relation to having a pharmacist engaged fully into the team is availability. And then 
how do we train future people? Those are the two biggest questions because at various institutions that have been uh, in the past, uh, having uh, a pharmacist as part of our cardio-oncology team is very difficult to, to make that happen. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, in Heather and Craig's case, you know, they were made available. But, you know, how, how, do we, how do we make that available to more places, number one? And then number two, when you have trainees that are, that are interested in cardio-oncology, how do we get them, you know, to sort of lead the way? That's a great question. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of institutions have struggled with. I know even within our institution, I mean, I work within with our cardio-oncology team, but I'm also the, the breast cancer pharmacist, and that's my primary role. So I think that that's something um, that we continue to um, struggle with. And I think that's one of the reasons that we started uh, working on the survey and getting a better gauge of where we are and where we need to go. And I think that that's something that's become very clear that from a resource standpoint, we just don't have it available um, for for the majority of institutions and providers that are there. So I think one is identifying that there is a need, which is what we're working on, and then how do we impact that need? And I think that is really just showing um, how can can you, you know, essentially prove that you have benefit with an a clinical uh, oncology or cardio-oncology or cardiology pharmacist within that sector. And I think that's showing the benefit that they have within the team. And I think there's some literature there, but not as much as, as we would like. And that's what we're working on. Um, but I would say for those that um, may not have specifically a cardio-oncology pharmacist, if you, you know, at least having a resource in terms of a clinical oncology pharmacist or cardiology pharmacist or clinical pharmacist that can provide some insight um, that may be interested in being involved. You know, that's why we have our working group within ICOS and our goal is to expand resources. Um, but I think first, if you don't have someone that is very subspecialized in this area, it would be involving your clinical pharmacist. Um, you know, they're well-trained in terms of drug interactions and can provide really great resources um, and help with some of the complexities of certain things um, that can be helpful. But I think really the big answer is just growing the field. You know, you determine a need and then you work on filling it. So that's kind of where we are in the setting of things. Yeah, so I think that, you know, this is really great. The, the, the uh, you know, it's. I do think that this is an important issue to to struggle with at each place, and whether it's a big institution or a practice, finding ways to have, uh, you know, active participation from pharmacy with all of these complex medication changes is really, it's really uh, absolutely necessary. And I think yeah. that you know the biggest thing is to really just, you know, keep putting it out there and figuring out how do we influence administrations to to support the these endeavors and you know the bottom line is is that it's all about improving patient care so so we're yeah and to your point and uh, i'm sure heather would echo this you know that's the great thing about icos and working together with our work group and we would love to have people engage but the nice thing is we have a great team of people that are in diverse settings and, and areas that you know, if you need mentorship or ask questions or how did we get there or how do we, you know, quote unquote, build this plane together, you know, we most certainly can help, you know, people navigate those things, whether it be uh, a pharmacist trying to figure it out or if we have our peers 
that are in the organization that are coming to us saying, you know, I'm a cardiologist or I'm an oncologist, <clears throat> excuse me, and I would love to have a pharmacist in my clinic. What what can I do or how can I get to that point or sell it? I think that's where, you know, hopefully as we get more sophisticated, we can do that. But even in the current moment, we can talk through and mentor and connect people. I don't, Heather, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would, I would completely agree. Um, I think the, the biggest struggle right now is just identifying how we can grow the field and then implement pharmacists within this area. And I think you uh, made a lot of great points in terms of how do we integrate this into residency training? Um, how do we make pharmacists more available? And I think as this area continues to grow, that that is something that we will see in terms of residency training. And um, the question is, do we add another year? Do we add in more rotations? Um, but training, um, providing the additional training for those pharmacists um, so that we can have more resources to be available, because I think right now it is very limited, um, but but would agree with, with pretty much all that you said in terms of availability. Heather, um, if I could jump in and just ask, are, are there any well, two questions. Are there any medications on the horizon, you know, new classes of drugs that you're really excited about as an oncologist? And then have you seen greater attention to the development of therapies that are safer from a from a cardiac perspective? Those are both really great questions. I would say in terms of um, therapies for oncology. I always get excited about these. Um, right now, um, and you've probably heard because it's gotten so many FDA approvals and indications literally in the last two weeks, um, but in HER2 or FAMTRASTUZMAB Durox TCAN as an antibody drug conjugate, um, it was previously utilized in HER2 positive breast cancer patients um, in a metastatic setting, but now has evolved into other cancer types and is now being utilized in HER2 low. Um, so a couple of things about that. So one, the drug itself is fairly novel and that it's an antibody drug conjugate. It's a very potent therapy. Um, I think it in itself is probably leading the way um, for drug development moving forward in terms of having these more complex targeted therapies that are not only efficacious, um, but you know we're seeing them highly utilized in multiple different sectors within oncology, which I think is incredibly exciting. Um, and then to get to your other point and kind of growing upon some of that, the more complex our therapies are, the more that we do see that they are more toxic. And as we, you know, are utilizing them more commonly in not only like in this instance, metastatic patients, but maybe sometimes in early stage patients, or we're broadening the indication and how we're using them, we need to be more aware and more trained in terms of how are we going to manage and monitor the toxicities that are associated with them. So, you know, going back to my example with in HER2, you know, specifically it's a HER2 targeted therapy. So it does have a risk of cardiotoxicity. Um, but I think really the important part is how do we better monitor these patients, manage the, these patients? And um, so I wouldn't say that necessarily the cardiotoxicity is limiting the development of new therapies. I do think that in general, it is uh, providing a bigger focus for monitoring. So again, you know, I always, say we need to find a way to make drugs fit patients and not patients fit drugs. Um, so I think it's how do we prepare these patients, um, you know, identifying patients that may benefit from prophylaxis upfront or getting them into cardio-oncology prior to starting therapy so we can better optimize their outcomes and we're not seeing the cardiotoxicity that's associated with them. Um, another good example, specifically in the breast setting, again, I mean, I'm a breast pharmacist, um, is ribocyclib, um, which is a CDK4-6 inhibitor that causes um, 
you know, QTC prolongation. And that's something that we're monitoring. And, you know, right now, one of the big discussions is, you know, previously it was a contraindication to include patients with any cardiac history or concern for cardiac um, history prior and how do we fit that in. So now we're trying to identify, well, which patients actually do we determine to be contraindicated here and how can we broaden the use because this particular therapy has been shown to be um, perhaps more efficacious than the other drugs within that class. So I think it's really identifying patients that may be at higher risk. Um, how do we you know, reduce that risk for them? How do we keep them on therapy? And what is the best way to monitor them so that we can continue this therapy, especially when they're having response? So just a few things that um, I personally am excited about as on- oncology continues to grow. Well, thanks so much. This uh, I feel like we say this at the end of every episode, but just illustrates again the the incredible complexity of working in this field and the necessity of of collaboration across disciplines. So thank you both uh, for your time. Dan and Arjun, thank you for your time. Appreciate all of you uh, being a part of this episode. For more information about ICOS, you can go to ic-os.org where you'll find more information about all of our programs, including our weekly webinars, our board certification exam, and other resources that we know you'll find helpful. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to hear from you soon.